again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Few subjects stir up controversy like speaking in tongues and healing. These are tough subjects that deserve serious study and prayer. But in the end, these gifts are not the point. The real focus in finding your gifts, whatever they are, is for you to use them for the good of the church. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series Propelled, The Serving Mindset, with the second part of the message, Discovery of Signed Gifts, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Thank you for joining us today. Every week, new people come, and when we do a series, we build week to week to week, and I always want to take into account those that are new. So very, very quickly, the series is entitled Propelled, The Serving Mindset. This is about serving. Now, as we're teaching about serving, we've been talking about their uh, different ways that we can serve, um, there are different uh, approaches to understanding serving, and you have to know that there's a mindset, a tool set, and a workshop that has to be addressed. Our series is spending most of our time on tool set. Got to have the right mindset, the right heart commitment. We talked a week about that. Now the rest of the weeks are about tools. Now I'm going to say a word at the very end, literally within one minute, I'll say a word about workshop but we're focusing on tools. So now to now take that topic of tools and let's now divide it into three types of tools. We talked very briefly about our lives as a tool. I really addressed that in a series previously we did in Romans, particularly as I hit chapter six. So we've touched on that now of recent. Now you add to that the second and that is resources. We didn't talk in this series, but three minutes about resources, whether it be material resources, financial resources, all the resources that God has given us in life. That's really going to be the focus of this next series that uh, Jeff, David, and Bob are going to be doing. I think you're going to find it to be an incredible, uh, helpful uh, series. So it's going to be entitled Dying to Give. And so uh, we trust that's going to be a, a great time. So that leaves us then with the third topic, which is on spiritual gifts. Now, if you're new with us, spiritual gifts refers to an ability that God gives. It's an ability of Christ of which the ability to do something that enhances the kingdom of God is given to every single believer. Some people might have two gifts or three gifts, but we're given gifts as God distributes as he pleases. And therefore, the advancement of God's kingdom in some form or fashion, either to take it deeper or to take it broader. Now, we've been looking at those different gifts. They're referred to in four different texts of the New Testament. If you take gifts as one big subject, you can divide it into three types of gifts. One called speaking gifts. We spent a good time on that. Secondly, serving gifts, and they describe themselves. A third type, sign gifts, is where we are last week and now this week. I'll give you a definition of sign gifts. Sign gifts, any gift whereby its means of usage is derived to some degree from God granting more uncommon abilities. Now, I've given an insert week to week we do not have this week that has all the gifts listed. If you go to our podcast, it comes out on Tuesday. If you go to our podcast, you can go to our notes and you can see all of the list of the gifts 
Everything is there, so you're welcome to check over those again if you're new with us. Now, I have said before, and I will say it a last time through the series, there are a lot of difficulties that come as we study spiritual gifts. One reason, because some people think when we talk of sign gifts, that the gifts no longer exist as sign gifts. Good people believe that. It's not my opinion. Other people say, well, no, they're the same as they were in the New Testament. There's absolutely no difference whatsoever in any of the gifts. They're all the same. Sign gifts are what they were in the exact same way. It's not the position I hold, though that may be a correct position as well. The third position is the one that I have, is that the sign gifts do all exist. They're for the church today, but they're not necessarily expressed in the exact way that there was a more heightened use of them perhaps then than now. For instance, the miracles of then are not like the miracles of today. And no one's going to go before a sea and split it like Moses did in the Old Testament. There's not going to be some of the things the apostles did. Take a handkerchief and touch the handkerchief and you're healed. And what? No, no, no. I don't, I don't think we expect that today. But does he still do miracles? Yes. Are the sign gifts still there? We would think so. Now, again, one last time. Got to say this again and again. There is a lot of disagreement when we get into this arena. I'm about to tackle the second, third, and fourth of four very debatable, controversial issues that relate to sign gifts. Anybody who says, I got the answer, I can tell you what's right, and everybody else who believes otherwise is wrong, I'd say don't ever listen to that kind of person. Not true. There's too much that no one can agree with now, at the same time, I want to underscore what we can know is plenty enough to use us as powerfully as God wants us to be used in the kingdom of God. Even with those, well, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe nots that exist. We want to focus on what we do know. But at the same time, there are a lot of questions being asked by people in this congregation. A couple, a young couple came up to me after the service at nine o'clock and said, if for no one else, this is the most important week for us to hear and understand what you just said. Man, we've been so confused. We came out of a background that was such and such. And oh, this answered, it's important to address these questions for some of you more than others. This will be a message for you that are our seekers will perhaps be a little beyond some of the things that you'd be so curious to find the answers to, but don't miss the bigger picture seeker. God gives gifts. And I'll address that at the very end to show why it's so important. Now, having said that, what we looked at last week was what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you missed that one and you're interested in this subject, go back and listen. The baptism of the Spirit, basically often called a second baptism, is the belief that there is a post-conversion experience where God will take those that are already Christians but need to be elevated, as all Christians do, to a plateau upon which once we receive the second baptism, there will be a demonstration of speaking in tongues. Last week we talked about what tongues were, tongues being any language that's learned without previously being instructed of the language. It just came to us. And actually, you wouldn't call it being learned. It's being given the gift to speak a language not previously studied or learned. Now, you take that idea of gifts and you say, well, does that apply here? 
many a Christian is going to come and say, you need to have, Christian, a second baptism, and you'll know you have if you speak in tongues. That's the subject I want to address now. But know this, I'm convinced personally, I feel very strongly of this, doesn't mean I cannot be wrong. But I side with the vast majority of Bible teachers worldwide historically that would say no. We tried to explain the Acts, the stories of Acts that you saw last week, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 19. There is an explanation that is saying, no, 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 that's not a normative experience for people ongoing through the faith of Christendom. Not at all. We believe that every person is sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You have the whole package from that moment. Now it is our responsibility to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly being filled over and over and over, and that there's no gift, including tongue speaking, that every Christian should have. Now, I want to now move to a second topic, and that is the idea of speaking in tongues. I've already defined what it is. I try to take things and say, how do you pull all the stuff together that's out there and make it as simple as possible? I think the best way I can make this simple is asking and then answering three questions. Here are the three questions of importance, whether young to the Bible, old-timer in the Bible. Same three questions we have to ask. Number one, can the tongues mentioned in Acts, in the book of Acts, can those tongues be equated, that is, are they the same as the tongues referred to in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? And there's a lot said about the gift of tongues in that passage in 1 Corinthians because there was some abuse, misunderstanding, and Paul was having to address it. So we know some things about that gift of tongues from that text, a broader text. Now, what about what happened in Acts? And now what about what we read in 1 Corinthians? That's something more normative ongoing at this point. Are they considered the same? I used J.I. Packer last week, and I'm going to use him again several times. If you weren't with us, J.I. Packer in his 90s would be considered globally perhaps the premier number one most respected Bible commentator, teacher that has lived in the last hundred years. This man God's used, oh my goodness, what insight into the truth of God. Very wise man. Here's what he says about this. He says, most with Calvin, meaning John Calvin, think the Pentecostal tongues were languages, that means in Acts, and the Corinthian tongues were not. But there is no unanimity. Each case is arguable, and Hukama is right when he says it's difficult, if not impossible, to make a final judgment on this matter. Now, here's the way I think. Okay, you've got Packer, you've got John Calvin, and you've got Hukama who said, I don't know. You think I'm going to sit here and say, let me tell you what I think is... No, I, I, and I really don't know. It, it's, you can see the arguments on both sides, and I've spent so much time studying this through the years. And it, it's just, who knows? So let's forget that question. Let's go to number two. <laughs> Are the tongues of Acts 12 through 14 the same as what we see commonly used today? Now we get a little bit more practical to us here. What about that? You see this tongues described 
by Paul in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And then you hear in Sea of Tongues, some of you may not ever be an exposed. Uh, but if you've been around uh, churches that are charismatic by nature and they use tongues in the services, uh, particularly as a prayer language, you hear that a lot and say, well, what about all that? You know, what do I think about it? Well, here would be my, my answer to this is I do not believe they're the same. What you see modern today doesn't mean what we see today is not valid and good. Hear me now. Doesn't mean that it's not very appropriate and very good. But is that today the same that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? I'm going to suggest no. Here would be the reason. When you see what's said about tongues in 1 Corinthians text, when you see that, you see that it is a language... Number two, you see that it is uh, capable of being interpreted. Somebody can hear it and has an ability to interpret, literally, word for word, this is what you said. When you see what is common today, the characteristics of it are much different. Today, it is understood by many of the best that the tongues that are used today can be learned. I have had firsthand experience, uh, one of the great Christian leaders of our generation who I had the opportunity of being with knowing who was very charismatic and he shared with me that he had a sense that God had spoken that I would have the, a gift of healing and he said uh, if you would pray in tongues that particular gift will be released but you have to have the experience of the tongue speaking well immediately my theological radar goes off and says uh uh-uh, uh that's not accurate but I can be wrong, so I go, I want to be available to God. What do you want to do, God? So he, he, then he said, now you need to speak in tongues. I said, all right, how do we do that? And he went through and gave me step by step what to do to start speaking in tongues. And if I told you the steps, you would start laughing. It was almost an embarrassment, what he told me. And I knew at that point, I said, this is not what I see in Scripture for sure. Doesn't mean what he's encouraging me to do is bad for me, or but it's not what I'm going to say I see there. You also see that what is common today has no language structure. And there have been test after test after test taking the common talk of, of tongues, use of tongues, and take it through the grid of language structure and say, well, there doesn't appear to be a language structure. It doesn't prove that it's not a language from heaven, that that none like anything on earth, but it certainly does not have the structure as it would appear that was by what's said in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Also, very often, much, many times, those who are speaking in a tongue are doing so in a state of ecstatic euphoria that they're, they're just so excited and something happens. Now, I went, um, I went to the University of Alabama and, not to, but I just want to, I can't use the illustration without clarifying, uh, it is not a Christian university. I just want you to know that. It is not a Christian university. There, for sure, I'm taking a course there. And it is in psychology. It is not a Christian course. I come across a section that deals with tongue speaking. It has nothing to do with religion. And it just simply relates a, a, a psychological reality that exists, and it described it when the mind races ahead of the tongue's ability to speak, it will make guttural sounds, and, vo- and it sounds much like a language. It described it, and it sounded identical to what I have 
been exposed to and a part of in, in various groups that I highly respect. I'll also add that I'm walking across campus one day and there's a sign up in front of one of the buildings and it said, please come and join us, tongue speaking, blah, 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 blah. And then it was sponsored by the Hare Krishna. Do you know who the Hare Krishna are? If you're ever familiar with them, it's not a Christian group by any stretch of the imagination, which says that tongue speaking, as we're talking about, is not just something that is among the Christian community, but it's out beyond even those that are not Christians. So we want to be very, very careful and not to take too strongly that 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 we're hearing today is necessarily what was happening there. I have heard some, I heard one this week that I pushed to find out the validity of it, and I have every reason to believe it was valid, of literally someone in ministry who was given an ability to speak a language that they never learned, and it is a language of another people group, and they never studied it, and God just miraculously gave it to them. You may believe that more in just a minute as we get to healing and healers, but I will say this, understand that I don't see a connection between those two. Now, many of you would hear that and think, therefore, I'm assuming this is all bad and no good, and I, it's not my position at all, which leads us to what Packer says, I think is a great insight. He says this, can charismatic glossolalia, which is frequently a learned skill and technique, which lacks language structure, and which its own practitioners regard as mainly for private use, be convincingly equated with the tongues of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And then he adds, which were for public use, which were assigned to unbelievers, and which Paul thought about as a language conveying meaning and therefore capable of being interpreted. He says, can the identity of these two glossolalic phenomena be convincingly affirmed? Surely not. Now, I'd like to then now go to the third and final question that gets a little bit closer to home here, and that is this question. Could Paul's discussion of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, could it be referring to the private prayer languages that many are familiar with, where you just privately use the gift of being able to pray in another language, in another tongue? Well, it's very debatable. I personally think not, but my opinion is this, and you'll see Packer, uh, when I read Packer, I'd already come to most of my conclusions. When I saw him, it was just so tongue and groove. I went, oh my gosh, this is so, so helpful. But I personally think the answer is no. However, that does not mean that the private prayer language of tongues that people are using is something that's invalid and a waste of time. I would suggest if it is beneficial in many of us in this church, many have this ability and they use a prayer language, if that be the case, let me tell you, you keep using it and it is a gift to be used of God. I'm not going to call it necessarily a spiritual gift as in 1 Corinthians, but it is a, it's an advantage that God has given to you to use that's just something that's available to anybody, but it's something you should use because it helps you. On the other hand, if you say, no, nah, I, I just, that's not for me. I don't, want any part, I, I don't have any need for that. I'd say, don't ever feel compelled that you need to move in that direction, that this is something that you must or should have. 
If it helps, good. If it doesn't, no. I like the way Packer puts it. Again, in the same book, Keeping a Step with the Spirit, he says this. In this way, glossolalia, which is the speaking in tongues, could be a good gift of God, for some people at least, on the basis that anything that helps you to concentrate on God, practice His presence, and open yourself to His influence is a good gift. For others, however, with different problems, whom God already enables to pray from their heart with understanding, glossolalia would be the unspiritual and trivial irrelevance that some now think it to be wherever it appears. It would be a case of one man's meat being another man's poison. That's a great way to look at it. So I took all this and kind of summarized it in my opinion. Here it would be. One, it is not what we hear today as the private languages and so forth. It's not God speaking to man. It is man speaking to God. Therefore, it's not revelation. I would suggest, secondly, that it is, it's not a miracle. It's natural. But because it's not a miracle does not mean that it's not advantageous and good. It would be a miracle if someone has the ability to speak in a language to reach other people that can be interpreted by people who understand that language or whatever. I say, there you go. There's more of the supernatural miracle, whatever you want to call it. I would say it cannot be translated. It can only be interpreted by the speaker, him or herself. So if somebody's before the Lord and they're, they're talking to the Lord, they know what they're thinking and what they're trying to say, and therefore, very valid. Uh, it's not a sign of God's fullness. So no one should say, if I don't do it, I don't have everything God wants me to have. It's not a sign of fullness. It's therefore not for everyone. I like to think of it like this. It's like singing. But instead of using words, instead of using music, you're you're using sounds. And it's just like people find singing, I do, in worship such an advantage. Well, some people say, I find this to be advantage like singing would be an advantage. And I know what I'm thinking. I'm not sure what I'm saying, but I know what I'm thinking. Therefore, it can be not interpreted word for word but, or translated, but it can be interpreted because I can tell you this is, what, this is what I'm thinking were I doing such. So all that to say... If it's good, use it. If not, don't. A word. You realize God gave emotions to us and they're good. But you realize we're not all the same. You know that. Some of us are very expressive, very emotive people, and some of us are not. Who's to say, well, the ones that are or the ones that are not are really the better ones, and everybody should be like, no. We are designed, I mean, we are created differently by God. We need to be who we are. You ever go to a sports event and watch some people who are unlike you? And you have to look at them strangely and say, how can that be? We scored and they're not jumping up and down. And I know they're big fans. Or on the other hand, they look and say, you, you know, they're crazy people. What are they doing? They're just, it's just a, uh, this is good, but look what they're doing. Oh my goodness. You know, when my oldest son was playing basketball at Chattahoochee, we had a, a couple of uh, parents that uh, uh, I would otherwise be sitting with, but I, I couldn't quite handle how they expressed themselves during a game. And not only that, but I knew that I was creating a tension of people wondering what was wrong with me. And I didn't like that, so I would move to the end 
of the gymnasium area and sit by myself. And um, because if it were the last shot of the game and my son scored it and they, they won a game, I'd get excited, but this is what I would do. Now, somebody looks at me and says, well, okay, you don't like your son, you've had an argument, you don't like that, da, da, da. No, 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 I am excited. Look what I did. I don't always do that. I don't always do that. So, you know, I love the fact I could be, now, them on the other hand, oh my goodness, they're jumping up and screaming, saying words I don't use. I mean, things are happening because they, they kind of lose their mind, I think, during that moment. And I'm sitting there going, man. You know, but I got to realize, hey, what a wonderful creation they are. I hope they can look at me and say, you know, the same thing. I do think it's odd when somebody who is very, very, very expressive in all of life doesn't find themselves expressive to the things of God. And somebody who is not so expressive, I wouldn't expect to see so much expression necessarily. I remember going to one of the most remote countries of the world. And one of the first, first, Christian, first Christian in that country 10 years prior ever to be noted. And it was like going to the early church. And these people had been evangelized. These people had been evangelized by a group of people from another country that were very, very expressive people. And when I started singing with them, I was not as expressive as they were. And some of them came to me and said, why, why do you not why do you not show expression, more expression? And I said, I don't, don't need to. And they went, what? And when I told them, they went, oh, we don't like doing that, but we thought we had to do so. We had to do so. <laughs> and I'd sit there when I'd been with them before, I said, you know, they don't seem to be expressive people until they get to singing. And then they, and they were so relieved. Oh, 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 we can be ourselves when we worship. Folks, all I say is, be who God made you to be. Don't worry what other people think and say. Just be what God has called you to be. Now, having said that, let's go to our third topic, which is getting messages from God. Don't need to say much, but know this. Prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, they're not revelation from God. They're only illumination, meaning God is prompting thoughts. God is prompting ideas, and you share those as I assume, I think this is what God may be saying. I don't want to, on behalf of that, I'd like to express this for you to evaluate. Others can determine if it is or it isn't. I'd say this, don't you ever say, God told me, and there are the words, this is what he said, and therefore this is God speaking. God may well have said it, but the receptacle is so broken, we can never say for sure we heard it correctly. And therefore, we have to be so very careful. George Whitfield. One of the greatest uh, preachers and, and evangelists in the 1700s, uh, he at one point told a story about his son John. He said, I believe my little boy John, I think God spoke to me about him. And God told me, and he told people, he said, God told me he's going to be one of the great, great preachers of his day. Six months later, his son died of pneumonia. Afterwards, these were his words. I got carried away with my desires and brought ill repute to God. He truly thought he had heard from God. He then said, I had to repent of what I'd done. So be very careful about that. Next, healer and healing. Healing and healers. Know this, healing, God heals today. We should never debate that question. However, there are no such thing as healers. God does the healing. Now, there are people with the gift of healing that God uses for people's healing. But it's always in the framework of prayer. You can go to James 5, 13 through 16. It'll talk about 
the framework of how it should be done in, in one particular situation. But the reality is, if I'm lying on my deathbed and I sense that, that maybe you know, God would have or my great desire is to live much longer and, and, and I don't know God's plan, but I would certainly want to ask for people who have a gift of healing to pray for me. I think it's people who are uniquely able to sense what God wants in terms of someone's health and therefore at times get promptings in a sense to say, yes, I think God does want to heal. They can pray with incredible faith that someone else couldn't pray. And so why wouldn't I want them around me at that time if that was my longing and desire? I'd say, come pray for me. At the same time, wouldn't I say, if I was discouraged and need someone to kind of exhort me and get, I'd like someone with the gift of exhortation to come along. If I'm needing someone to show mercy, I want someone with the gift of mercy to come along. Why wouldn't I want, if I was wanting healing and sensing a need for healing to say, who has a, and I think there are people who have that unique God-given ability. So let's utilize it. That's good. But here's the question is, what about these healers? How many of us have turned on a television and seen somebody in the midst of a big campaign of some sort and they bring people up and they put their hands on their head and they fall back and they faint and they collapse? They have to have somebody catch them and say, is all this fake? Is this put on? No, it's not fake. It's not put on. It's very, very real, but it's not healing. We had a hypnotist in our church a number of years back. He was a professional hypnotist. He was a hypnotist that put on shows in Las Vegas. He was one of the top. I was talking to him one day. I was very familiar with hypnotism. My father was a dentist. He used hypnotism to actually, and he took it in, in, in medical school, but he took it to help patients that didn't want shots and had great fear, and he would, he would hypnotize them. And he would hypnotize uh, my brother and me to make all kinds of changes. He never could. <laughs> he never could keep my brother and me from fighting. I remember that one. He kept saying, you will not fight. You will not fight. We kept fighting. But anyway, <laughs> but I'm asking him, and I said, what do you think about this, you know, whole idea of healing. And he said, oh, I know exactly what it is. I can do the same thing. I said, what do you mean? He said, all he's doing, he or she is hypnotizing the audience. Not everybody. But he says, I'll, I'll say this. He says, I can be in one of my shows and I have to spend about 15 or 20 minutes talking before I do anything because I have to get the crowd in a hypnotic suggestion. Not that everyone is in it, but the majority becomes so. And that's what this evangelist or speaker or healer is doing is he's, I, I watch and I see he does this the very same thing I do with the crowds when I'm in Las Vegas. He said, I can call up people and have them act like dogs. They'll be on all fours and they'll be the most sophisticated people who would die to think about doing such, but I can have them up there barking. <laughs> he said, it's amazing. And he says, it what happens is simply they're under hypnotic suggestion and said it's amazing what the mind can do over the matter of the body, even the control of the will. And so, yes, these people have had real issues and just like, oh, they can bark now where they normally wouldn't bark. They can feel good where you would think otherwise they shouldn't, but it's not going to continue. Now, can God use anything and anyone? Yes, but for the main part, no. He said, you know, in my, in my shows, I would talk to them and I would then say now what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw my hands out and when I count to three and throw my hands out there's going to be a rush of wind hitting you so strong you better you better be braced and he says it's not like at that moment everybody falls back it's like the first and the second third row it's 
And it's just like a rush of wind. And they'll say, I felt something. I felt wind. I know it was wind. He said, there was no wind. I just had them under hypnotic suggestion. All that to say, the brilliance of God. Did you see the screen earlier? Did you see that? I'm so glad we showed that stuff to say, what a God, his creation. And he's created humans with this incredible mind. And you see some people who are off a little bit, but have some unusual abilities that you cannot explain. Do you understand that here is a perfect image of God? Who knows what it's like before, before the fall and what it's going to be like after glorification? Maybe we're using a thousandth of one percent of the brain's ability to control the body, to do who knows what we're looking at. Do you realize that there was a, as a, a, a man that I became acquainted with in high school, is my age in high school, and I went to his home with him. He was uh, blind from birth, and I spoke to his parents. We sat around talking, and this fellow is one of the greatest piano players I've ever seen. I mean, he's just like Jay up here today, just playing all over the piano. And they tell the story. Son was about two or three years of age, walked into the family piano, had never played it before, goes up and just dun, 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 hits every note and then starts playing songs he'd heard. We can't imagine how. Well, let me tell you, who knows the capability of mankind? And don't forget this, that even in the book of Matthew, in the seventh chapter, it says this. Jesus says, many who come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So what he's saying is, look what even the human ability is in the creation of God. So you don't want to be too persuaded too quickly with too little. Got to be very, very careful. Now, to end all this, I finished now the, the teaching on, on gifts. Tool set, you know, there's not much more I can say. I would like to make the offer that you take one of these two little things and maybe utilize them. I think at this point, I would just ask myself a few questions about where do I use my gift? I would say, do I prefer to use it with children, youth, or adults? Do I prefer to direct my use of my gifts to, to the Christian community or maybe to those that are non-Christians? Would I find that it's better for me to work inside the local church more or is my calling more outside? I'd ask those kind of questions. I would look at these opportunities that are in booklets like this and say, what are some things I could do? But please use the little tool that we're leaving with you to understand what your gift is. If you go to the website and, and put in perimeter.org slash my gifts, there will be an assessment that you can take. It should take five minutes. You should read. There's a hundred questions. Don't be thinking that's going to take you 10 minutes. You're just supposed to first thought, bing, 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 bing. And it'll come back to you, compute and say, based on your evaluation of you, this is probably some areas you should explore most with gifts. Now you've got to say, all right, where's the workshop? Ask yourself these questions. Look for opportunities. We've tried to help all we can. We'll help any other way we possibly can. But there comes a time, like we said, like I said in the first week where we have to say one, two, three, jump. That's it. Gotta, it may be risky, it may be scary, but God, let me try and get out there and use what you think is your gift. Find out if it is and watch God start using you.
Watch God start using you. A 39-year-old man in this church, the, the stories have been coming in so encouraging. 39-year-old man, wife, three kids, said, I've decided, I believe it's either the coffee team here inside the church, it's Kids Quest. I think this is where God, one of the two, he might be calling. A, a young teenager, 16-year-old, said, I would like to work in the parking and safety team. I know some would think I'm too young. Many would think I don't have the credentials, but I'm sending references. <laughs> These were the exact words. Would you please prayerfully consider allowing me to serve my church on the parking ministry team? And if that person's in here right now, the answer is yes. If anybody says otherwise, come talk to me. Because that's the heart we want. By the way, when I saw the credentials, oh my goodness. Step aside, you that are out there. You got somebody coming. <laughs> my dream, my dream of dreams is to see this church outserving every other group of people in all of Atlanta. Not to win a record, not to be put in a, uh, an applause category, but because you're a people that would say, I'm going to jump right where God calls me. And my prayer is that you would do it with the motive that says, I got it. I was designed to serve. We're broken, alienated people, everybody. But by God's grace, if a Christian, he's redeemed me. And now he's given me a gift. And I'm going to use that gift. See, I'm a betting man. I'm betting. I'm betting my life that God's word is true and that he's given gifts and he designed us to serve. And if you're not serving, then you're betting that that's not true and that you can find better life without serving. If you believe that it's true, man, big mistake. Bet on what you believe to be the winner. And you will win. Others will win. God will win. Let's, as a people, let's serve well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege that we get to just learn about gifts and go over it and renew it. For some of us in our past teaching, we've heard it before, but now we want to, again, reconfirm our commitment to jump. And we want to find where you want to use us. Our pledge of intention is that we will find that place. Lord, would you show us, if seekers here today, show us the beauty of being able to be having a purpose in life for which we've been designed. And many are hungry to find purpose and meaning. Would you grant it even because of the teaching about gifts? May many go to the cross of your son Jesus, see such great love that it breaks their heart till they fall in love. And now they receive the gift you have for them. Bless all here. Use us, we pray, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.